This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We are still in Genesis chapter 2. However, uh, I'm not really going to go there today. I'm going to go to several other verses of Scripture. But our topic this morning is, This is my Father's world. And indeed it is my Father's world. Not everyone agrees with that. But, uh, but they, have, uh, they live in America, uh, at least uh, most of them. There might be some looking by, watching by live stream that are not in. By the way, last Sunday, or was it Wednesday? Last Wednesday, we had someone in India watching by live stream. And uh, we know that because they made a comment on, on some of the uh, venues that we have that our live stream is on. They can put, put comments on it. And uh, this person gave their name and said, I'm watching from India. And they gave the, the, uh, the city in India or province, whatever it is, however they do it in India, uh, watching in India. And it happened to be um, the fellow that Pastor mentioned last Wednesday night in India. And so we, we told him that after the service was over. So we don't know who's watching where. And uh, we know that we have so, several missionaries that watch every Sunday, watch our live stream, and probably some stay connected for our Sunday school class as well. And we're so grateful for that. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get right into the lesson. Our Father, we're grateful to you today for the privilege that we have to gather together as a Sunday school class for the specific purpose of studying your word. I pray the Holy Spirit will be our teacher today. And I pray, God, that you will awaken our minds, our hearts, our spirits, that we may receive your word on purpose today. Uh, to edify us spiritually, and to glorify our God. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. David, the psalmist, uh, was very right when he praised the Creator in his psalms. And he glorified his creatures, uh, and he glorified his creation. And then we look in the book of Revelation, and we see there that the creatures in heaven are are doing something very similar. They're worshiping God as both creator and redeemer. And these things go together in the scripture. Um, creation and redemption are part of one great plan because the, because the redemption that was wrought by Jesus Christ on the cross will bring freedom to all of nature one day. In fact, we're told in, uh, in uh, Romans chapter Eight, or Romans chapter 1, that creation is going to be free someday. Creation, God's creation was taken into bondage during the fall as well as mankind was. And all of God's creation suffered the cost or the tragedy of what happened in the Garden of Eden uh, when Adam ate of the forbidden fruit. Not everybody agrees with that. David and Paul, then uh, they don't agree with David and Paul and all the heavenly host as they sing, this is our father's world. For example, 
In his book, uh, Prejudice, the third series, the American newspaper editor and essayist H.L. Mecken wrote this. He said, the universe is a gigantic flywheel making 10,000 revolutions a minute. Man is a sick fly try, uh, taking a dizzy ride on it. And religion is the theory that the wheel was designed and set spinning to give him the ride. You stop and analyze that statement that's made. What's he, what he's saying is uh, this universe is a bunch of baloney. The creation of this universe is a bunch of baloney is what he's saying. But he's not the only one that said stupid stuff. The British analyst Walter Savage, uh, Landor, said this. He said, taken as a whole, the universe is observed. Observed. Absurd. Did I say that right? Yeah, that's what I said. (laughs) Or at least that's what I meant to say. And then the American... uh, physicist Steven Weinberg wrote this. He said, the more the universe seems comprehensible, the more it seems pointless. Well, the problem with these people is they don't know the creator, and they don't know the purpose for creation and and all that has taken place as a result of that. Atheists say that the universe is only an orderly accident. Agnostics admit that they don't really know and are not worried about it. Theists confess that God originally created everything, but has long since forsaken it, uh, forsaken what he made. But we Christians sing, this is my father's world. And we thank God for that. Praise God we can sing that because we believe it. In fact, Christians believe in a creator who not only made the universe, but he presides over it and controls its destiny. But, and here's the point of the lesson today. If we sing, this is my father's world, then how should we live in this world to prove that we mean what we sing? And so that's what we're going to give you today. That's what these next seven points are about uh, in this lesson. And the first one is simply this. We will worship God alone. We'll worship God alone. If we believe that God is the creator of the entire universe, which includes us, then he's worthy of our worship, right? And he alone. And uh, in Psalm 38, and verses 8 and 9, the Bible says this. It says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood still. And that's what happened. That's what the first two chapters, actually the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis is all about. God spoke, and there it was. That's all he needed to do. He just spoke, and it happened. He made this out of nothing. Think about that for a moment. The truth is, if you can think about it, it's uncomprehensible to us. We, we can't comprehend that. How God could bring all of this into existence out of nothing. Nothing was there and all of a sudden it was. Isn't that amazing? What an awesome God we have. Wow. Creation reveals the existence of God, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 
the theory that this complex universe appeared by accident out of nothing from a big bang is, is as probable as the works of Shakespeare uh, resulting from an explosion in a printing factory. I mean, it just all, you know, there was a big explosion, a big bang, and wow, look what happened. Well, it may have been a big bang, but God did it. I don't think he did it by a big bang, by the way. He, in fact, the Bible tells us how he did it. He just spoke. He said, let there be day, and there was day, and let there be night, let there be earth, let there be water, let there be some birds in the air. And there they were. We have an awesome God. The scientist is only thinking God's thoughts after, after him. And, then, and the scientist is only discovering the laws of God. The laws that God built into this world. That's, what, that's, all, that's all scientists. This is just discovering what God did. That's the reason why scientists changes. You know, scientists is not uh, an absolute um, thing. It changes. We keep hearing on the news all the time, well, we'll follow the science. We'll follow it. Well, Dr. Fauci shows you what science is all about. It keeps changing all the time. Every time he speaks, there's something different going on. But thank God, God is absolute. And in him, nothing changes. Amen. Paul affirmed that creation proves God's eternal power and Godhead. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. David sang... The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Paul and Jesus and Peter, they didn't hesitate to use that word creation. You read, you read their writings, and that word creation, or create, appears over and over and over and over again. And that word create literally means to make something out of nothing. And that's what God If you go to the book of Romans, well, you don't really need to. Maybe... Uh, well, yeah, look at the book of Romans. Uh, in chapter 1 of the book of Romans, uh, we have here an explanation of how man can become so wicked even though God has revealed himself. And um, we could read verses 18 through 32, and we get the whole explanation of it, but let's just read verses 18, 19, and 20, and it says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifested in them for God has shown it unto them. God has shown his, his glory to us. We have access to that. All we have to do is just look out into this vast universe that God created and say, wow. Look what God did. God has revealed himself. The heavens declare the glory of God, David said. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Jan and I were on an Alaskan cruise a number of years ago. And uh, there was standing behind us a lady, obviously a Christian. We were fortunate to be on a cruise with um, about 100, almost 100 uh, of our friends, really, uh, they were retirees, most of them from Bob Jones University. But in addition to that, there were other believers on that cruise that we ran into that were from other groups. And one from one of those other groups was standing behind us when we were standing on the deck of that ship looking at the glaciers. 
And in the background of the glaciers was some beautiful mountains, snow-capped. And, and, and the sight was just overwhelming. And this lady said, out of the blue, she said, how can anyone look at that and deny there's a, and deny there's a God that made it? And I turned around and said, amen. Thank you for making that comment. And uh, boy, um, anyway, because that which, was, that which may be known of God is manifested to them. For God has shown it unto them. And in verse 20, for the invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal Godhead and in his eternal power and Godhead. All we have to do is just look at what God created and say, wow, what a powerful God. What a marvelous creator we have. All of that God has revealed to us even through nature, through his creation. He's revealed that to us. And so that they are without excuse. And then the rest of the chapters, the rest of the verses of this chapter go on and describe how man rejected God and turned against God and began to serve the creation rather than the creator. And God gives us a vivid description of, of that kind in those verses. But anyway, these verses explain how mankind developed from the knowledge of the true and living God to worship the false gods and dead idols. And contrary to what some comparative religions, religious uh, scholars teach us, man did not begin his religious journey by worshiping the things of nature and then gradually climbing up toward the worship of the true God. That's not the way things began. On the contrary, man began at the top, knowing the true God. But to gratify his passionate appetites, he refused to worship him, and he turned downward to idols. And we see that spiral downward continuing today. In my lifetime, I've seen that spiral take a, a, a deep, 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 deep dive. It's getting worse and worse. And uh, everybody's talking about the mess we're in today. Terrible mess we're in today. And, um, and uh, we can relate to that mess because you and I grew up in America when things were different. We talked last week about the blue laws, you know, back in those days when Sunday was sacred. Now it's just another day. Every once in a while, driving through our subdivision on the way to church, somebody's out walking the dog or just taking a walk, and I'll say to Jan, um, they ought to be home getting ready to go to church. And then she has a way of sticking the knife in. She does. Actually, I guess it's the Holy Spirit. I don't know. She said, have you invited them? <laughs> she can be mean sometimes. <laughs> but I love her in spite of it. I do love you, dear. 
I have a hard time at dinner today. <laughs> Augustine made this statement. He says, thus doth the world forget you, its creator, and falls in love with what you have created instead of you. That's where we are. We're in love with creation. Uh, it was interesting, the pastor's message this morning kind of dovetails with what I'm going to, some of the things I'm going to say today in the Sunday school class. It's always interesting how God puts these things together in it. But uh, that's exactly where we find ourselves. We've gotten to the place where we're enamored with what God created and forget that there is a creator that put it all together. Well... When David meditated on the greatness of the heavens, he had to ask, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? And, and, and I had to say the same thing. When I, when I examine God's expanse of creation and look out there and see the beauty of all that he's done, uh, if I'm honest with myself, I have to do as David did and say, what is man that you're mindful of him? You know, God could be preoccupied with what he created and forget all about us, a part of his creation. But the truth is he's very mindful of us, very loving of us, very caring of us. Well, anyway, the prophet Isaiah contemplated the greatness of the creator and, uh, and, and clearly saw the foolishness of idolatry. I want you to turn to a passage in the book of Isaiah, Pass, uh, Isaiah chapter 40. I'm already there because I got it marked. And I'm going to start reading, but you can catch up to me. In Isaiah chapter 40, beginning at verse 12, listen to these words. God gave Isaiah some terrific insight as the Holy Spirit uh, dictated to him, showed to him what he should write. Here's what he wrote. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or, or being his counselor hath taught him? Who, who taught God? Did God have a counselor? Did God have someone to or something to show him or teach him how to put all this together? No, he didn't need a teacher. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. Verse 14, with whom took he counsel and who instructed him? Who taught him the paths of judgment uh, judgment, uh, and, and, uh, and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not, is not sufficient, uh, so not, not, not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for the burning, burnt offering. All nations before him are as, are as nothing, and, uh, and they are accounted to him less than nothing and vanity. To whom then will we liken God? Or what likeness will we compare unto him? The workman melteth the graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chosen 
uh, chooseth a tree uh, that, will not, that will not rot. Um, he seeketh unto him the cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. In other words, we got these people out here making idols. Can we compare them to God? No. But that's where we are in our life today. We've got people making idols and saying these are greater than God because that's what they worship. You can't worship God and mammon at the same time. Pastor spoke about that this morning in his message, about what, we're, what we worship, what, what we're putting our faith and our trust in. Where was I? Uh, verse 21. Hath you hath not known? Hath you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Hath you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a, as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judgments of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted, yea, they shall not be sown, yea, their stalks shall not, shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high. You know what he's saying here? Actually, what he's saying is, my creation, not really much. And we're included in that. But I'm the Holy One. I'm the Holy One. That's where our focus ought to be. That's what Isaiah is telling us. That all of God's creation is really nothing. It's, it's all vanity. Our attention should be focused on the Creator. And so he's trying to get us to look to God. And focus upon God who created all of this. He's not really saying that, he's, that God's creation is worthless because it is worth something or God wouldn't have created it, right? But what he's trying to do is he's trying to compare God with the creation and saying how lowly his creation is compared to the creator. Um, lift up your eyes, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high. Here's the, here's the point. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by name, by the greatness of his might, for, he hath, for, he, uh, for that he is strong in power, and one that faileth not. Wow, what a description of God. Isaiah had it right, but of course he, he had that right. Uh, based upon what the Holy Spirit. There's another passage in, 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 uh, in uh, Isaiah chapter 45, uh, beginning at verse 5, says this. I am the Lord, there's none other. There's no God beside me. I gird thee, although thou, um, though thou hast not known me, uh, that they may, they may know they may know from the rising of the sun 
and from the west, even there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light, I create the darkness, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. What a great God. Isaac Watts wrote, Lord, how thy wonders are displayed. Where'er I turn my eye, if I survey the ground I tread, or gaze upon the sky. Boy, some of these old songwriters had it right, didn't they? Yeah. There was a visitor one time with a tour group at an atomic laboratory. He asked the guide this question. You say that the whole world is nothing but electronic particles in motion. Is that true? What holds it all together? And the guide honestly replied, we don't know. But you know the truth? Uh, God knew and Paul knew. Because here's what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. He says this, For by him are all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things, what's the next word? By him all things consist. You know that word consist is an interesting word in the Greek language. You know what it really means? By him all things are glued together. You can write that in the margin of Bible if you want to, but that Greek word has that idea that by him all things are glued together. Um, <clears throat> what's this monkey glue? Um, what's it called? Gorilla glue. Gorilla glue. That's good stuff. I used it. I even glued my fingers together with it one time. But it's not perfect because I got them separated. <clears throat> but when God glues things together, it sticks. I'd like to have some of that glue, wouldn't you? They're glued together. They all consist because of him. They're all, everything God made is glued together. And this is the God we worship and create. And all of creation joins together in praising him. Room, uh, Roman numeral number two. I'm going to run out of time. That's all right. I'll go as far as I can. Number two, we will be good stewards of his creation. And then letter A under that, God has a plan for our stewardship. You see, when, when God made the first man and woman to have dominion over his creation, he put them and their descendants under obligation to value the gifts that God gave to them and to use them carefully for his glory. And uh, we're his descendants. We are descendants of Adam. And, and, uh, and God has given us dominion over his creation. And, um, and we are to use all of that for his glory. God created everything for his glory and for his pleasure, according to Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, as well as for our enjoyment. You can find that in 1 Timothy 6, 17, and also in Acts 17, 24 through 28. And, and we must always see ourselves as stewards of God's world to destroy creation 
and the waste its bounties is to sin against the God who made it all. The novelist Alan Patton wrote this. He said, the ground is holy, being even as it came from the Creator. Keep it, guard it, care for it, for it keeps men, it guards men, cares for men. Destroy it, and men will be destroyed. There is some, there is some truth to, and not to this green deal, this, uh, uh, and this, um, this hoax of a climate change thing. It's, that uh, we're faced with today. I'm not not talking about that. But there is a sense in which God expects us to be good stewards of the dominion that he's given to us over this earth. And God has a plan for us in that. Uh, Letter B, God has laws for our stewardship. It's interesting that God wrote into the law of Moses his concern for people, for animals, for plants, and for the land and all of its resources. For example, the Sabbath day gave rest to both the workers and their animals. We talked about that last Sunday, if you remember. And then the sabbatical year and the year of Jubilee gave rest to the land. And because the Jews didn't obey these laws, they went into captivity so that the land could enjoy its Sabbath and be, re- and be renewed. And in fact, if you read in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, you learn there that the reason why God took the Jews into captivity was to give their land a rest because they had failed to observe the Sabbaths and, and, and the sabbatical years and, and, the, and those, those times when God had given to them to rest for the animals that, that tilled the land to rest and for the land itself to rest. Remember last week I talked about, uh, I, I can remember as a farmer that there were farmers that would allow a certain field, a plot of ground in their, on their farm uh, just to go dormant for a year. They gave it a sabbatical every seven years. They planned that all over the farm. And nowadays we we put fertilizer all over it and man-made stuff all over it, you know, to uh, supposedly <clears throat> uh, take up for what God intended for it to have rest, you know, to, to give it renewed, to, instead of it getting natural nutrients to replenish and, uh, and to revitalize the ground, uh, we, we put all this man-made stuff on it. I don't know if we're going to pay a price for that or not. Probably. So God gave Israel regulations concerning the lost and fallen animals in Deuteronomy 22, and nesting birds as well, and plowing animals, and, uh, and newborn animals. The psalmist praised God for his, for his constant concern and, and care for animals and for people in Psalm 101, 102. The fact is that God has not deserted his creation. We have. In Psalm 145, verses 9, 13, and 17, we read this. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. 
Everything God does is good. Everything is good. Number three, Roman numeral number three. We will trust in God's providence and not worry about the things around us. Pastor, Pastor preached this this morning too, didn't he? A little bit. From the Sermon on the Mount. Someone said that the agnostic and the atheist have every right to worry because they have no invisible means of support. To them, the universe is a self-made, impersonal machine, not the creation of a wise and loving God. But believers see creation as their father's world. They call the creator father. Uh, and they trust him with their lives, their circumstances, and their future. Everything in nature praises the Lord and looks to him for whatever they need. The psalmist wrote this, Psalm 104 and verse 27. Uh, These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give their meat in due season. You know, we get all uptight and get, uh, get worried about what's happening or what's not going to happen. Uh, what, what, what's going to happen to my retirement account? I don't want to see any lifted hands, but how many of you here are worried about that? Am I going to outlive what I've set aside for retirement? I'll be honest with you, I've asked that question. And I know some of you have asked the same question. Is God going to take care of me? You know, David said, I once was young, now I'm old. But I've never seen his seed, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Robert, I've claimed that verse for my, the rest of my life and for my wife. God's going to take care of his creation. Uh, his providence will see to that. And uh, he'll, he'll take care of us. There's no problem about that. I, I think God's going, to, God's going to take care of us. Uh, you know, there's no evidence that birds get ulcers Or that rabbits have nervous breakdowns. You ever think about that? Somebody wrote these words. Said the robin to, or said the, robin to the sparrow, uh, I, I thought I, I, I should, excuse me. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why those anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as care for you and me. I wonder if God's creation doesn't look at us sometimes running around pulling our hair out. Robert, it looks like you've done a pretty good job of that. And a couple others have done a better job than that. I can look around and see. And, and say, those poor creatures, they don't trust God. They just don't trust the one who made them. Job chapter 12 and verse 10 says, In God's hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Think of that for a moment. Here, here Job, Job, Job was suffering. You know how he was suffering. I don't need to go into that. And Job said this. He said, In God's hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. 
By the way, the word providence that you just wrote down comes from two Latin words that mean to see beforehand. Planet Earth is not a stagger, does not stagger around in space like a helpless drunk. God has the whole world in his hands and is working out his divine purpose for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. It is that assurance that gives his people us, that gives us peace. No matter how difficult the circumstances may be around us, we can have peace in God to know that he's in control. Doesn't make any difference who's in the White House. Doesn't make any difference what your circumstances are. God's in control of it. And he's looking after you. He really is. In uh, Psalm 46, verses 7 and 10, it says this. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Be still and know that I am God. Amen. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, that our pastor's been preaching on the mountaintop living Good series of messages, by the way. Uh, Jesus tells us how to cure anxiety, anxious care. We must put our lives in the hands of the Father and trust Him to guide us and, and uh, provide for us each day, uh, all the time. If we put things in our lives first, then we'll worry and fret. But if we put the kingdom of God first, then he'll meet our needs and give us everything. Seek ye first, verse 33, verse 33 of uh, Matthew chapter 6. Seek ye first what? Kingdom of God. And what? His righteousness. What's the rest of the verse? All these things will be added unto you. Our problem is, is, is a problem of priorities. We don't put first things first. All these, all these things become important to us. When Isaiah told us that all these things are, are, are worthless, they're vain. And that's where we put our hope, that's where we put our expectation in the things. No, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. God says, I'll take care of you. I'll add them. That takes an awful lot of faith, doesn't it? It takes a great deal of faith to believe that, but it's true. Roman numeral number four, we will pray to our Father. We will pray to our Father. If God the creator and Lord of, our, of the universe is our Father, then it's reasonable and necessary for us to talk to him about the things that concern us. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11, Jesus told us to pray Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, we're to pray for our daily bread. Uh, and by the way, I, I was listening on the radio. Jan and I uh, had the radio on listening to um, uh, Jeffers, uh, pastor of First Baptist in Dallas, the other day. And he was talking about the Lord's Prayer, this, this passage. And uh, he says... Um, he says that, that prayer begins like this. Jesus says, pray after this manner. And, and, he, and he commented, he says, uh, Jesus didn't say pray this prayer, but pray after this manner. In other words, it's a, it's a model prayer that God gave to us 
to, to, to fashion and model our prayer life after. And so when God says, uh, pray for your daily bread, uh, he's telling us to pray for the things that we need for our daily sustenance. It's not wrong to pray. Now, if God is sovereign and he has a plan for all of us people in the world, why pray? Isn't praying interfering with the will of God? Think about that question for a moment. If God is sovereign and he has a plan and he's working his plan, why should we have to pray? Why should we pray? Isn't that interfering with the will of God? Well, it's not, not at all. In fact, prayer is one of the means that God has ordained to accomplish his will in this world. It has been said that the purpose of prayer is not to get our will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. That same model prayer that we were just talking about says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God says pray so that my will can be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, that's not interfering with the will of God. Now, we're to pray in the will of God. And sometimes we don't know what to pray about. We don't know what to pray for. That's the reason the Holy Spirit indwells us because Paul assures us that the Holy Spirit sometimes gives us utterance when we pray. Sometimes we, Paul, Paul says, I think it's in the eighth chapter, that we don't always know how to pray. There have been times when I've been on my face before God, I just didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to approach God. You've been there. You've done that. You just didn't know what to say about a situation. That's when the Holy Spirit begins to pray on our behalf. Oh, I thank God for that blessed experience, that the wonderful Holy Spirit that, that helps us in our prayer life at times. Well, when we pray to the Father because we know he is the creator, we pray to the Father because we know he's the creator and he's the Lord of heaven and earth. All the great intercessors of the Bible agree with that. They agree that my help cometh from the Lord, which made the heaven and the earth. This is true with Abraham, Hezekiah, the apostles, the early church, the apostle Paul, and even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When you focus on the greatness of God, your own problems and your burdens will become smaller and lighter. Roman numeral five, we will not fear to suffer for his sake. I don't like that word suffer. I don't like to suffer. Uh, I, have, I have pain most of the days of my life. Uh, I have arthritis. My hands are just filled with arthritis. In fact, this hand, this left hand, my, this thumb aches all the time. When, uh, when I was in high school, I've never had a broken bone in my life. I've never had a broken bone. 83 years old, never had a broken bone. But I did have a dislocated joint one time. This joint right here ended up back here. And I did it playing um, volleyball. I jammed my thumb. And I just grabbed a hold of it, snapped it back in place. The doctor after, afterwards uh, chewed me out for doing that, but I did it. 
and I'm paying the price for it now because this, this thumb is just loaded with uh, arthritis. In fact, the doctor looked at it the other day and he says, that's almost twice the size of your other thumb. And it hurts all the time. In fact, I, there's nothing I can, I, even tying my shoes hurt. And, and buttoning my, my top button of my collar is the worst thing in the world, trying to button that button. It hurts. And so, you know, I don't like that word suffer. It annoys me. But the truth is that if we suffer in the will of God, it's okay. It's all right. There are, some, there are several verses of Scripture to that effect. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 19, the Bible says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of your souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. That word commit is a good word. It, it, it's a banking term. It literally means to deposit for safekeeping. When we commit our soul to God, we put it in God's safe deposit box. I don't have one of those. I got a safe, but I don't have a safe deposit box in the bank. Some of you may. And probably in that safe deposit box, you have some very valuable things that you've put there. You put them there for safekeeping. Uh, you, you, you think that uh, you're, you, somebody could break into your home and take your safe. Mine's big enough you could carry it out of my house. In fact, I've carried it. Not now, but I used to when I was young and idiot, uh, when I was young and crazy, yeah. <clears throat> you know. Uh, I can't even pick it up now, but, but a burglar could. Oh, boy, I just announced that on... On live television. <laughs> but I got a way of taking care of burglars, too. <laughs> in fact, I got several ways in my house to take care of burglars. Did you hear that? <laughs> in fact, I got one right here on my hip. What was I saying before I interrupted myself? <laughs> what? Safe deposit box. Yeah, safe deposit box. <clears throat> you know, somebody gets breaking your home, but you put it in the bank in the safe deposit box, and you think, boy, nobody's going to get to that. But I want to tell you about a safe deposit box that's even safer than the one in the bank. It's called Jesus Christ. Amen. We commit our soul to him. Nobody's going to steal that. Nobody's going to take that away, you see. And so when we commit to him as a faithful creator, he created us. And we commit ourselves to him, we're safe, safe. 1 Peter seven and, uh, 5 and verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, and so on. Well, I've got to skip over some of this because i only got two minutes left. Uh, Mary, Mary Lynn, you're going to have to skip a, a slide here, I think. Let's go to number uh, six. Number six. Uh, we will love and serve mankind. Letter A. God made all things, didn't he? All of them. God made all things. When Paul addressed the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill, he gave them a short course on theology and anthropology. He told them that God was the creator 
and, and didn't need their man-made temples and idols because he is Lord of heaven and earth. We cannot give God anything because he made everything. And it is he who gives us life and breath and health. Let her be. God made only one race. You know, <clears throat> it took me a while to figure this out. But there's only one race. We talk about the Caucasian race, uh, you know, the various races, the Asian race, and, um, and so on. Uh-uh. There's only one. It's called the human race. I was watching TV last night, and Alveda... Uh, King, yeah, Martin Luther King's niece, I think she's a niece, was on. You know, she's a born-again Christian, and she seems to love the Lord, really. And, uh, and, she, and, and she and a, uh, she, she's, uh, she's a colored lady, a black person, and she has co-authored a book with a white lady. And um, what's the name of it? I forget. There's only one race or something like that. And what she said last night is so true. She said, you know, we're all sons and daughters of Adam. We all came from Adam. We're all from the same parents. It's only one race. And it's true. Um, some people have different pigmentation in their skin because initially God put them in a different location in the world, and they needed that darker pigmentation in their skin to, uh, to uh, cope with the sun, you know, and the heat and so forth. But we've got, and we've got it all mixed up. Uh, we're all sons and daughters. I see some people sitting out here that have a little different pigmentation in your skin than I have, but you know what? You're my brother and sister, not just in Christ, but, uh, but, but uh, in the human race. We're all, we're all part of the human race. Uh, that goes contrary to what some people like to have said, but, but Paul said... He made all people of one blood. And um, there may be, some may have different feature uh, characteristics. Some people may have eyes that are a little longer and a little squinier than, than mine. But uh, we're all brothers and sisters. I've got to skip over some of this. Letter C, God does not contone prejudice. Well, I'd like, to, I'd like to park there for a little while, but let's move on. The last, the last point, number seven. We will read and study God's word. We'll read and study God's word. Psalm 119, verse 73 says, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. God, since you made me, I better find out why you made me. I better find out a little bit about this. I better find out something about you. Uh, you're my creator. I, gotta, I better find out. Well, he's told us right here. And we don't pick it up very often and read it. We pick it up on Sunday morning, dust it off, you know, bring it to church. And take it back and throw it back on the dresser. And there it is for the week. I, I don't think, I don't think you do that. But a lot of people do. You know, in fact, a lot of people go to church don't even take a Bible with them. And uh, 
I got to tell this. I know I'm two minutes late. I got to tell this, and then I'll quit. When I was um, during the summer months, uh, when I was in college, I'd come home and and um, I'd get I'd get invited to preach in in some churches that are not of our strain. The reason for that is because I was brought up in a different denomination, and I was kind of well known and some of those circles. And so when some of those pastors went on vacation, they'd ask me to come preach for them. And uh, they didn't know I was going to preach the gospel, you know. They, they just thought it was all the old me. And uh, I, I was preaching in this church one time. And, I, and the pre- preacher was on vacation for three Sundays, and he asked me to, to fill the pulpit for him all three Sundays. So the first Sunday, I... I got up to preach and I announced my text and nobody moved. They all just kind of stared at me. I didn't hear any pages rustle like we hear here. And so, stupid me, you know, young whippersnapper, I think it was the end of my freshman year, you know. I, I, I learned an awful lot my, I learned an awful lot my freshman year in college. And then uh, my second year, I learned that I didn't learn as much as I thought I did. <laughs> and by the end of my uh, fourth year, and uh, I, I realized that I was actually stupid at the end of that first year of college. But anyway, I said, would you hold your Bibles up, please? Guess how many Bibles went in the air? Zero. I said, folks, your pastor has asked me to come and preach these three weeks, and so I'm going to preach from the Bible, and uh, it would be nice if you would bring your Bible so you could follow with me. I said, I'm going to ask the same question next Sunday. And uh, so next Sunday I did. I kept my word. I said, how many got your Bibles with you today? And there were about a third of the people there that actually raised up their Bibles. And I said, I got one more Sunday, I'm going to ask the question again. And by the end, by the third Sunday, there were probably about two-thirds of the people that actually brought a Bible to church with them. Uh, You know, if you're going to church, take your Bible. I think you're going there to worship God, and you need to know something about Him, right? All right. Yeah, that's the end of the lesson. I'm five minutes over time. Will you forgive me? I've still got two pages of notes here, but, but you've got your blanks filled in, right? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for uh, being such an awesome creator, an awesome God. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us as your creatures to worship our creator. And I think of ourselves more highly than we ought God, to give you the rightful place in our lives. Lord, may we learn, teach us, Father, how to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that you can add all the other things of life to us. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org 
or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.